Thank you for listening to the Hidden in Plain Sight podcast with my dad, Matt Petrie. Thomas Merton, in his book, The Seven Story Mountain, tells a story of him having a conversation with a Hindu monk discussing why Christian missionaries were not having a big impact in that region. And Merton said, the Hindus are not looking for us to send men who would build schools and hospitals, although these were badly needed at the time and they were very useful. The Hindu monk told Merton, the locals want to know, do you have any saints that you can send us? Do you have any saints that you can send us? Are we sending missionaries or are we sending saints? Now, I have to get this off of my heart today. I'm continuing in this thought of Jesus getting alone in the wilderness. um, And three things were happening there primarily as the Holy Spirit led him into that. He was spending time alone with with God, alone with the Father. And in that context, he overcame temptation to sin. And then he came out in the power of the Spirit doing Luke 4.18. And that's the type of sending I want to talk about today. I want to talk to you about the, here's the one, two, threes of one I want to talk about today. Number one, I want to talk about apostomonasticism. And I know that's a strange phrase that Pete Gregg came up with, apostomonasticism. I want to talk to you about my call to explore this world of um, breathing in and breathing out, or, or in other words, getting alone with God and then coming out and sharing with the world what God's told you in the secret place and having that healthy balance of alone time with God and then sharing the gospel with the nations. And then thirdly, I want to talk about colonies of heaven, colonies of heaven. Now, on this idea of apostomonasticism, if you want to get really deep into this, there is a podcast on the Order of the Mustard Seed website, the Order of the Mustard Seed website. And you can look up one of the episodes on there is called Aposto Monasticism. And in that in that uh, episode, Pete, Greg, and others, part of the 24-7 prayer network, but specifically the Order of the Mustard Seed, they talk about how, and I've read this book, it's by Patrick Johnstone, And uh, Pete Gregg basically is talking about how um, this book had an impact on him as a church planner. He said, I'd planted churches, many churches at the time, and was wondering if we were actually getting the job done. And and he came across this book by Patrick Johnstone called The Church is Bigger Than You Think. Now, the reading is not inspirational (laughs) reading. It's more uh, factual. It's it's a missions book, uh, Thoughts on Missions. And, um, and I've read the book, and in the book, he's talking about the church is bigger than you think. That's the name of the book, The Church is Bigger Than You Think, by Patrick Johnstone. And in the book, he's talking about there's three categories of church that we're basically used to thinking of. One primarily is traditional. You go to church on Sunday morning, and you know used to Sunday night, Wednesday night, but basically it's a gathering. It's a local gathering of people, and we think of that as church. It has a building, it has some programs, maybe some home groups, that kind of thing. A traditional church. And Pete says, you know, we learned how to do that really well. And then in the book, Patrick says, but that's not the church exclusively. The, the second part of the church that he talked about that's been throughout church history is not only this traditional gathering in homes or in a local building, but there is this apostolic part of the church. 
And most people in the South, when they think apostolic, it has to do with, you know, oneness, Pentecostals, that kind of thing. But what um, Patrick Johnston is highlighting is the Greek word apostos, which means sending, one who is sent. And we have the sending statements of Jesus in the Gospels where he actually sent his disciples. You have it in Matthew 28, Mark 16, and other places where he has sent us into the world, into the world to make disciples of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all of the things that he's commanded us. He has already sent us. We are to go. And so there are this this branch of the church that is apostolic in nature and that it's ready to go. It is sending, it is going, ready to impact uh, society, to bring transformation to cities, nations, to people's hearts, and so forth. It has that go of God in it, the apostolic dimension of the church. And, um, and that's a very, very crucial, healthy part of Christianity is to have that Training and sending, training, sending, training, sending. We don't want to overtrain and undersend. We want to train and send, equip, go. You know, let, release the people into the kingdom, uh, into the culture to transform culture. So there's the apostolic that is focused on sending people from the presence of God to change. And then he said, there's a third aspect of the church being bigger than you think throughout church history. Patrick Johnstone highlights this idea of um, there being the monastic, the monastic impulse throughout church history for 2,000 years. There has been this impulse in church history to slip away from traditional church, sometimes to live in the desert, sometimes to live in the wilderness, what have you, and to spend time alone with God and go deep in prayer, go deep in the Bible copying the manuscripts, copying the Bible, you know, and, and doing the monastic lifestyle. Manos, it means alone. And the monastic order was all throughout church history. There has been those who have, uh, have done this. You might even say that John the Baptist and the Essenes were a type of uh, monastic order. Uh, but, but those three, you have the traditional, and then you have the apostolic, and then you have the monastic streams all throughout church history that developed church. And obviously there's more than that, but those three were highlighted in the book. And so Pete Gregg and his crew began to think about how we've done traditional church. What about this? We feel this really strongly to be missional, to be those that are going, those that are ready to get out there and impact others for the kingdom of God. But we also feel this strong impulse to prayer, to go deep in the Bible and to go deep in contemplative prayer and, and being with God. And so he put the phrase together, the apostolic and the monastic, and called it apostomonasticism. And when I think of this word, I think of often of the uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote when he said that there would be a new breed of monasticism uh, in the church today. And we're, we're seeing this call to be contemplative, to be prayerful, to be those people that go deep in the scriptures and live in community together, who want to live out the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, but also from that context are being sent out by the Holy Spirit to see change happen in the earth. And I'm about this. I feel so strongly about this. Um, and I, I've listened to that podcast on the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast um, 
many times, especially the first 20 minutes of it. So go check that out, apostomonasticism, if you want more on that. So I just wanted to hit that real quick to give some context for where I'm going here today. Uh, let me, secondly, since I covered apostomonasticism ever so, ever so briefly, let me uh, jump into my journey here and why this is so important to me. In 1998, I started going to Bible college. 97, I had a tremendous, impactful encounter with God um, that absolutely changed my life. Four and a half hours encounter with the living God. I mean, I didn't see God face to face, but there was enough fear of the Lord in the room that I will never, ever remember that moment. And I write about it in my book, Moths Flirting with Flames. If you want to go check out Moths Flirting, Flirting with Flames, it's on Amazon. You can check out that book and hear that story and how it's impacted me, my encounter with the Lord. Well, in 97, after that encounter, I go to Bible college. And while I'm in Bible college, I come across this book. We were reading uh, for uh, Charismatic History or History of Revivals. I don't remember specifically the class we're reading this book by Eddie Hyatt called 2000 Years of Charismatic Christianity. 2000 Years of Charismatic Christianity. Now, Eddie in this book is basically challenging cessationism, the belief that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased with the last apostle in the New Testament, what have you, which I don't really believe. There's a lot of people that believe that anymore. That argument has pretty much been defeated all around the world. And there are so many Christians that are charismatic in the sense that they believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Roman Catholics have experienced it, Orthodox, uh, Pentecostals. I mean, it's a global thing now that where that's not really an argument today. It's not really that big of a deal, although I'm sure there are in some cases. So Eddie's making that point. But what, what, he, what I noticed when I read that book is that the gifts of the Spirit throughout church history, the activity of the Holy Spirit was primarily connected to those who were doing this apostomonasticism. They were getting alone with God. The gifts of the Spirit continued right throughout history and never ceased, and they existed primarily in the desert with St. Antony or those who were doing this monasticism deal. The gifts of the Spirit flourished in monasteries. And so back then, I began to really sense this call that this would be the future of Christian education. And by Christian education, I mean discipleship. Discipleship in the local church and in schools, universities, seminaries. I believe there is going to be a radical shift in the training of leaders who will be sent out to preach the gospel. They are going to take seriously having time alone with God. Now, I know I've referenced this before in previous episodes, and let me just say it really strongly again. There is a grace being released to the body of Christ for the come away with me, to lock away with me. And it's not just to stay there. It's so that you can, in that secret place with God, get to know God Learn to know Him for yourself, not just what other people have to say about Him, not just what history books have to say about Him, but you have your own history with God being developed in your secret alone time with God. Jesus had it in His life in the 40 days, and then it says in Luke that it was His custom or it was His habit to get alone with God and to pray and it was in the life of Jesus. It was in the life of the apostles. You see it in the apostle Paul's life where after his conversion, 
he slips away for three years in Arabia and he doesn't go to Jerusalem. He goes straight to Arabia. He spends that time alone with God and there comes back in the power of the spirit in such a way that he causes basically a ride in the city. They have to lower him down in a wall in a basket over the wall and they couldn't withstand the wisdom of his words because he had spent that three years being taught directly by Jesus himself. And so I'm giving a call for reformation in the area of Christian education or discipleship for people to take seriously getting alone with God. And what happens in that time of getting alone with God, like I said, number one, you get to know Him. You get to know who God is. He's a Father. He's a loving Father. He's an involved Father. He's not distant. He's not far off, way out there. And here's the deal. You can read a theological book on the doctrine of God. And I encourage it. I have, I encourage exploration in the knowledge of God. But that can't replace contact knowledge. See, we, we, we need more mystic aspect of Christianity in that we need people that are serious about hearing from God themselves, having contact knowledge of God themselves, having experiential knowledge of God themselves. And when you have that, and I argue this in my book, Moths Flirting with Flames, when you have that direct contact with God, you cannot be talked into anything that else. No, nothing else would be as important. So when, when you have time alone with God, you are entering, entering into the best discipleship program imaginable. You're being taught by the Holy Spirit who knows everything and knows everything about you, and knows exactly how to train you and shape you into Christ-likeness. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't need fivefold ministries. We do. We certainly do. And the Bible says it's clear that they are gifts given to us to help us be formed, help the saints be formed into Christ-like maturity for the work of the ministry. However, I want to say you can't make those people your God. Apostles are not your God. They are not your they are not your uh, mediator between the Father. You have one mediator. His name's Jesus. And you need to be taught by the Holy Spirit. And He can send men and women along your path to help shape you and thank God for them. But when you get alone with God, you get to learn God, know God yourself. Secondly, you get to know your identity in God. So first you start finding out who He is. He's a father. He's a great shepherd. He's a good king. He's a judge right? He's the creator. Yeah, and these, these truths are not just head knowledge to you. In the secret place, in their time alone with God, they take that 18-inch drop to the heart and they become heart knowledge, or like I like to say contact knowledge. I made contact with that truth. And you know those truths go from your head to your heart when they awaken worship in you and they move you to uh, walk in the fear of the Lord. And that, but secondly, you know who God is and then th Secondly, you find out who you are. He starts speaking to you, identity over you, that you are a beloved son or daughter, that you are my witness in the earth, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are the sheep of my pasture, and I know how to take good care of my sheep. And these truths become real to you in the secret place alone with God. And then thirdly, thirdly, you get in contact as you're in the secret place. This I'm giving you a discipleship program here. Number one, find out who God is. Number two, find out who you are in God. And then thirdly, find the Holy Spirit's power 
to displace your human weakness and replace it with the power of Christ's likeness. So no, 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 I love this stuff. This is the perfect discipleship program. Making sons and daughters of the living God. Teach them. Let them get in the context of finding out who God is, finding out who they are in God, and then finding the Holy Spirit's power to make those truths of who God is and who you are real in your life. The Holy Spirit makes those truths real to you. And uh, we'll have people that are being sent as saints and not just sent as missionaries. So I begin to feel this call back in 1998, 25 years ago. And I've been a part of Christian education, and I'm so thankful to God. The Lord has allowed me to be a part of Christian education for 25 years. My wife and I are passionate about education. And it's the funnest way to make disciples. I love going on like a nine-month journey with people uh, into knowing God, finding out who they are, and then finding the Holy Spirit's power to make those truths real in their life. I think it's a beautiful pattern of Christian education. You can put it in your Sunday school. You can put it in your church program, your your house church, your your college, what have you. But I believe even at the college level that we're going to be training missionaries and schools of ministry, Bible schools. Yes, we did emphasize over those years that you should have a secret place. I remember doing this. I remember faculty, others doing this encouraging the secret place. But I always felt like over the last 25 years, if there's anything that was missing in Christian education was this intentional space given to getting alone with God. Intentional space of getting alone with God. Now, we did that in colleges and seminaries that I've been able to be a part of. I've been an academic chair. I've been a, a dean. I've, I've loved it, man. I got to teach at Valor Christian uh, College. got to teach at Ohio Christian University for seven years. got to teach at Regent. And I've got to lecture at CFNI. I mean, I'm just so thankful. I love the discipleship that happens in these, in these schools and really am grateful. But I also want to say I feel like the future is we're not just going to have this encouragement to go do it, but we're going to put it in the curriculum. This is a part of your curriculum. This semester, you're going to be intentional about space alone with God. That is your classroom. And we'll do like the early monastics did, where they said your cell becomes your teacher. Your cell becomes your teacher. Your secret place, your closet time with God. Now, when I was in Bible college, They used to tell us all the time that if you do not cultivate a secret place with God, you could get burnt out because you're around all these other people that are on fire for God, they're hungry for God, what have you. And I saw that to be true, and I noticed a pattern that those back then, in 1998, my buddies uh, and the, the guys and gals I went to Bible college with, the ones that had their own personal secret place with God flourished throughout their time in school. And guess what? They're still flourishing. I see them doing so much in the kingdom of God. I am so blessed to see what's happening with uh, former students of mine. I just look at the former students of mine that I've had that had a secret place with God, and now they're flourishing with fruitfulness. And they didn't fall off because they'd had that secret place with God. Now, I believe so strongly in this that you, you're going to be able to. See, you're going to see this everywhere, <clears throat> saints. There are some things that you can only get in the secret place with God. Jesus said this clearly on the Sermon on the Mount. 
He said, when you pray, go into your closet, shut the door, and the Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. There are some rewards that only come as a result of getting alone with God. The reward of nearness, the reward of His presence, the reward of knowing Him more, the reward of receiving grace to give your life more to Him and loving Him more and walking in greater depths of holiness and um, repentance before the Lord. And that's a reward. The Father promised the public open reward of the Father comes as a result of getting alone with God, and you cannot get it in any other way. Now, I am committed to corporate prayer. I am a part of the prayer movement. I have been a part of the prayer movement since 2005. I have supported prayer meetings. I go to prayer meetings. I lead prayer meetings. I stir the body of Christ to build the house of prayer. I am so thankful to Jesus for that call on my life. I am a part of weekly prayer meetings now. I lead weekly prayer meetings. you got to have them. I believe it, the house of the Lord is a house of prayer. And I believe that as strongly as I am committed to corporate prayer, I am even more so committed to you having your own personal cultivation of intimacy with God. You having your own mountain. You having your own secret place. You having your own walk on the beach with God. Because I'm telling you, nothing in this world can replace that. So I've been on this 25-year journey where I see this prophetically, that this is where the church is going. There will be an emphasis on closet prayer, secret prayer, secret intimacy with God. I believe just as much, let me put it this way. I believe there is, just as there has been grace on the prayer movement to go night and day, I believe there will be an equal amount of grace poured out commensurate to that grace for secret prayer. You're going to hear of people locking away for long periods of time with God. You're going to hear, because here's the deal. If we're going to have Micah 7, 14, as in the days of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. So I believe that the end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit will be greater in manifestation than the book of Acts and the book of Exodus. According to that verse, God says, as in the days of Egypt, I'm going to show them my wonders. We're going to have that on the earth again. And if we're going to have that on the earth again, it's going to be released through the Holy Spirit, but through weak and broken people. Obviously, He's going to manifest this through people. Just like he did with Peter on the book of Acts. He's going to manifest. We got to have some Moseses today. We got to have some Elijahs today who are willing, if we're going to have that depth of outpouring, I believe there's going to be grace come upon people to spend time alone with God like Moses did for 40 days on the mountain. Like Elijah did 40 days on the mountain. Like Jesus did 40 days in the wilderness. Like Paul did three years in Arabia. I believe in this so strongly. Now, what does that mean for me and you who just go to church on Sundays and go to prayer meetings? Well, we start where we're at. We start with our five minutes a day. We start with those liminal moments, the in-between moments of our day when we're going from point A to point B. We pause and we, we cultivate that. We, we, we realize that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and let silence be in there and just, Lord, you are in your holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before you. And you just have that own, your own secret place with God throughout the day where you're having this interpersonal time with God, connecting with Him, communing with the Holy Spirit. 
And that's where it starts out for me and you on, uh, you know, on, on just day to day, start where you can, but have a daily time of getting alone with God. Even as if it, if it's the ride to work, make it the ride to work. And that counts, saints, that counts. But I also know that there's going to be grace come upon some people to linger there. And I believe there's going to be resources available. Some, I know some people listen to this and be like, man, I would do that if I had the resources. Let's set our hearts for it. And there's a more excellent way than trying to have to, to do travel ministry or try to spin the wheels or try to spin the plates to try to make it happen. I believe the Lord will provide grace and the resources for us to spend time alone with God. Just as, how, how do I know that? When God saw that Elijah ran to the wilderness, he was headed to Mount Horeb to spend time alone with God. God told him to meet me at the brook Cherith, and I'm going to provide for you there. I'm going to provide f- food for you. The ravens are going to feed you in that place. I'm going to give you provision in your place of solitude, your time alone with God, where he could get some things healed in his heart, get some things right with the Father, get his new commission, where he heard the still small voice, to go and anoint um, his next successor, Elisha. But that comes as a result of spending time alone with God. Now, like like I've said before, monasteries all over this country are being filled. They do not lack for visitors because we are desperate to lock away with God, to unplug from the noise and the echo chambers and to hear God face to face and to get along. There's There's this craving in us. We just, I want to hear the voice that sounds like, the rush of many waters. I want to hear that voice that sounds like a multitude. I, I get the I get the picture that that sounds like a stadium of eighty thousand football fans all chanting the same name or the same thing. But but the voice of a multitude is holy and pure. But on the, that level of sound and decibel, I don't know. But I, I get that picture. I want to hear that. I want to hear that for myself. I want to know God for myself. And so, uh, yeah, Apostle Monasticism, I covered that. I talked about my call into this. And my, it's just a prophetic journey I've been on. I see this. This is going to happen. And as they spend that time alone with God, they're going to come out in the power of the Spirit, which is where this goes. And we're going to send saints rather than missionaries. Now, thirdly, real quick here, let me just spend a couple minutes talking about the colonies of heaven or centers of shalom. I believe there's going to be grace being released. And we're already seeing this in other parts of the world. Um, There are people locking away and spending days and days in prayer all over the world. This is not something new. They may be new first time hearing it, but in Africa and in Asian countries, this is happening. And what we're seeing like in places like in Europe with with, uh, Waverly Abbey, they're beginning to develop these places where people can come and spend that time alone with God. And like the um, Celtic Christians had, they called them colonies of heaven. These places where you can learn of the king, learn of the kingdom, get marked by it, and then go out and share the kingdom message of the gospel in all the earth. Colleagues of Heaven. I'm going to stop there just because this is going long and we could pick that up again. But uh, let me just uh, recap the resources. Go check out Apostle Monasticism 
on the order of the web order of the mustard seed website, their podcast, and, um, check out that book. If you're interested, Patrick Johnstone, the church is bigger than you think the church is bigger than you think. I, I believe this so strongly. Thank you for listening today. Please share if this podcast has been a blessing to you. Go check out my book, Moths Flirting with Flames. It's on Amazon. I think it'll be a blessing to you. God bless.